opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. All right, good morning, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Herbie's Cooking Corner for April 11th, 2023. First of all, I have confirmed that we are definitely hearable over in Clubhouse, so uh, we're definitely all good there. That is uh, very much a relief. All right, so today we are going to actually have a very special guest with us. And that is going to be a Twinkling Tori's brother. First of all, let's welcome Twinkling Tori. Hello, Tori. Hello, Herbie. Hello. And um, we are going to be interviewing uh, your bro today. The, the yeah, I think he's, what, older than you? Yeah, older by 13 months. 13 months. Okay. Well, that's probably was still a big deal back when you two were a lot younger. Well, actually, it's one year, four weeks, and eight minutes. Well, technical details, technical details. How many seconds? It was very important. Um, we didn't get told the seconds. We oh. only got told the minutes. Oh, that's a problem. How are you supposed to know these things then? I, I know, know, right? Yep. So uh, many of you may remember Carl from last time we interviewed him. He has a lot of wisdom to share. And uh, what we're going to do is play the interview in its entirety. I had hoped that we'd be able to pause for comments, but um, for several reasons, we are not going to do that. So just if you think of any questions, write them down so that we don't forget. And then at the end, you'll actually have a chance to ask Carl live himself. And that is something that we did not get last time. And... um, on that note, Tori, did you have anything you'd like to say before we roll the tape? Nope. All right, then, guys. So get ready. We're going to learn about oven safety. We're going to learn about cutting techniques. We are going to learn about specialized equipment. And, uh, well, his views on it anyway. And uh, then we're going to get into some food as well at the end. So enjoy. I am here with Carl Portman once again. Some of you may remember him from last year and the very successful interview we had. In fact, it was so successful that the comments uh, at least seemed to imply, why isn't he doing the call instead of me? Okay, maybe it wasn't quite like that, but uh, he was definitely well received. This time, I have my uh, co-host with me to help out, uh, Twinkling Tori. Hello, Tori. Hello, Herbie. Now, since uh, you two are brother and sister, hopefully you two will get along on this call. And if you don't, I will probably not edit it out. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the heads up. <laughs> yeah, we'll behave. We'll behave for now. For now. So, uh, Carl, just for uh, any of our new listeners again, just let, why don't you give us again a brief background of uh, who you are and all that? Yeah, absolutely. So, hello, everybody. I am. I guess the important things from the point of view of cooking show, I'm totally blind. I'm in my late thirties, far too late thirties. Actually, I've been blind pretty much all my life. I went to specialist schools for sort of up to the age of about 10 or 11. So I guess early elementary school in the U S sorry, I'm not a hundred percent sure on how the systems compare. Middle school. Um, yeah. So for uh, the American listeners here, which uh, I'm pretty sure where everybody is, when he refers to the hob, he is referring to the stovetop and or burner. So 
just giving you that translation key right off the bat. Last time when we did this, we talked about the uh, stovetop, we talked about campfires and uh, things like that. So let's talk about perhaps the most important one, the oven. Okay, so the oven for me is probably what you'll use the most. It's a clean way of cooking because you put everything in a pot or a tray or a tin. Definitely. And then you take it out and it's a, yeah, it's a clean way of cooking. Oven cooking, it has an advantage in that you can prepare everything, you often prepare everything cold, not exclusively, of course, and then you put it into the oven. So you've not got so much kind of prolonged contact. Something that you often find with an oven, I guess, is the door. The main risk when you're using an oven is is the oven door. So if you open an oven and, you know, you sort of then reach in to pick out your tray or to put your tray in, you've got both hands holding the tray, perhaps, your um, roasting pot, and then you don't know what's happening with the door. So is the door going to swing back or something like that? So that's, that's I think, a particular risk with the, with the oven. Um, how do we manage that first of all we don't open the oven too quickly we don't sort of push the door back so that it sort of like reaches its you know maximum kind of opening or bounces off of the work the counter sort of you know the cupboard next door and bounces back take it slowly i mean that's the answer with a lot of things really take it slowly you can get long oven gloves or maybe make sure that you're wearing kind of long sleeve clothes but not drooping sleeves. And we might have talked about drooping sleeves. We'll talk about them again later, really. But, you know, long sleeves so that if it does swing back, it doesn't necessarily, you know, there's some protection there. With some things, you might be able to put something into the oven with one hand and use another hand to secure the door. Or you might be able to get something that you can use to sort of, to, to sort of like from the handle of the door to sort of to hold it back if you're, if you're nervous. But you want to be, careful i guess about doing that because obviously holding the pot in one hand could be quite heavy harder to balance it but yeah it's mostly the, the oven door is one of the main one of the main risks something we want to think about is possibly putting something on a lower shelf as well so if you're not sure if you've got like a perhaps a roasting tin with oil in it or um, perhaps got a full casserole and you're worried about spilling any of it putting an empty tray on the bottom shelf of the oven is a good way of catching any spilling, any drips, because that will uh, stop it from getting onto the sort of body of the oven itself. You can take the tray out and wash it. You can obviously clean the oven. You need to clean the oven uh, relatively frequently, but obviously it's much more frustrating to do so. With, I mean, something that might be useful is to kind of get to know your oven, and that sounds a bit strange, but when the oven is cold, before you turn it on one day, have a bit of an explore. You know, what, what is in the oven? Where are the heating elements? So you know what you're avoiding. Is it a fan oven? Where might the sort of the air be coming from for that? Is it a gas oven? With, and does it have kind of burners underneath in some way? Like, because you need to avoid those, you need to keep them clean. And you can really kind of understand where are the shelves? Are you happy with the height that the shelves have been put? Because most ovens, the shelves are adjustable. So, you you know, you want to put them in places where you know you've got room between them to put the, the trays that you'll be most commonly using to make sure that the food in them isn't going to sort of touch the bottom of the shelf above or the top of the oven and to make sure you're not kind of coming into contact with the, um, I said, with the heating elements and things like that because changing trays, you know, moving the shelf height when the oven's hot is just not really a safe option. Um, so that's kind of something to bear in mind. 
and preheating ovens. That's an interesting thing. All the recipes will say to preheat your oven. So there are some things where preheating is better. If you're baking something particularly, the way that baking works, it kind of requires, well, it kind of benefits from the oven being hot because then sort of to make you like, make cakes and bakes rise and things like that. That's actually better if the oven is preheated technically um, but mostly but actually i do it from a cold oven and it turns out exactly the same you just have to add a couple of minutes to the cooking time so yeah sorry that's uh where i was going with that thanks sorry so yeah technically it, it is better but it is the case that yeah that even baking from a cold oven works fine but most things are fine from a cold oven so you can put things in cold so that when you know you do need to think about adding five or ten minutes of the cooking time. That's going to vary depending on your oven, depending on the recipe, depending on the food that you're, that you're cooking. For example, if you're cooking like a like a bigger joint of meat, you might want to add sort of fifteen minutes of cooking time because keep getting the heat to temperature, the core of that to temperature, going to take longer. If you're cooking something quite flat and thin, like maybe a tray of oven chips or maybe cookies, you might want to add maybe more like five minutes. So yeah, so those I think are the main thoughts that I have about kind of ovens. The reason that putting things in cold is, is kind of better if you can is because finding you need to hold the tray steady, you need to cop stop the door from hitting you, you need to make sure, you know, find the, the shelf that you want. So a lot of that kind of coordination can be really hard if you've got to worry about all of those, all of those factors. But yeah, that takes away some of that pressure if you can if you can use your hands more more easily you might not even need to worry about oven gloves oven mitts if you're putting things in cold but obviously you really will when you when you take them out as with all cooking really sometimes people think about like draping a tea towel over their arms like a, a dishcloth or something over their arm to protect them from the oven door and that can be fine that can be an option but it can slip if you have a gas oven perhaps with burners in it or something like that like that might sort of dangle down and you're not quite sure where that's going. That's why that's always a bad idea, really. But if it's all you've got, it kind of might be okay. But I recommend looking for, yeah, longer sleeved oven mitts or long sleeved clothes to kind of help with, with the door, really. Very good. Where do you and... stand on the whole moving the tray thing, uh, moving the shelves thing? Because <clears> there's a lot of uh, discussion and debate about that. Uh, moving the shelves in what regard? Well, some people are saying that you should like constantly you should adjust your shelves depending on what you're making while others are arguing that especially being blind it would be better to leave the shelves where they are so that you could become familiar with where they are and on top of that too another aspect of discussion and heated debate you know for the oven oh Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Is that, you know, should you move the rack forward before placing your pan in and then move mm -hmm. it back into place before closing it? Or should you just leave it in place and um, kind of been covered from several different angles? So from two perspectives, firstly, dealing with uh, moving them for the purposes of cooking, because things say put in the top of moderately heated oven or something like that. I leave my racks where they are. I have one quite near the top of the oven, which I would then put like trays of things on. But then I have one quite near the bottom. So then the space between the two of them for like casserole dishes or big pot roasts or something like that. And I tend to just do it like that. Some ovens will work better than others like that. I have, like I said, I have an electric fan assisted oven. So 
the heat tends to be fairly regular, fairly even throughout the oven with those type of ovens. That's, that's what they, that's what the finance system thing does. Some ovens, particularly I think gas ovens, are really quite fussy and they do have quite different temperatures at different parts of the oven, actually. So that will depend on your make and model and the age and things like that. So you might need to do that, but I don't because I can't really be bothered, to be honest with you. Like everything cooks fine. You might need to think about adjusting cooking time depending on where things fit, but that comes with practice as much as anything. The question about whether or not to move the rack out to put a tray on it, that's an interesting one, actually. My thoughts are that probably I don't think it's safe. I don't think that for me, the safety element, because if you do pull the rack out and you pull it out too far and then you rest your tray on it or put the tray on it at the wrong point and then you sort of pull it out further and it tips, you've then got a hot rack bouncing around falling into your lap which nobody wants and then you no. drop the tray which falls off of it and you've broken the tray and spilled your food and you've still got a hot rack bouncing around so i would not but then again yeah the advantage of kind of a kind of a kind of experience so i think that there were too many risks i would say i can see the advantage though because it would stop the door from swinging shut perhaps because it would hit the rack before you a little bit it would or it could anyway depending on how far out it is yeah i, th I think there are too many risks really though personally so that's my opinion as well yeah i personally think it's a little bit too risky myself i think what happens is you get people who go blind later on in life and sometimes think or they need a different kind of reassurance i know in one case there's something to do with the low vision and how that throws their sensor uh, sense of direction off and so it gives them something to measure by another thing that i really found interesting about your comments is so i wonder if your ovens work a little differently than ours because our typical oven is you open the door and it stays open until you actually close it so it just <clears throat> comes out flat so i take it your doors uh, for the ovens are not as uh, stable there are different there are different designs of of cooker really so and as much as anything actually it's about how flat the stove is really how well positioned the stove is so you do get ovens where the door opens down flat uh, in front of you that's a design of oven i don't think we have i don't think we have those here for lower ovens like like a lot of maybe countertop ovens might uh, like higher up ovens might have doors that sort of like that swing I, down mine's got flat. one that goes down oh okay then well, there we go. We do have them. That's cool. Well, technically, I, though, I think you're in the you, England and she's in Wales, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, so even yeah. though it's the United so Kingdom maybe, maybe and it's supposed that. to be one country, you know, there, there could be a... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it could be. But yeah, pretty much all of the ovens over there are the door comes down type. Call. Okay, yeah. so something to bear in mind with that, like, is to think very carefully before resting. I mean, because that could be a useful thing to use, to have that kind of oven door. But you know, I think you want to be very careful as well about resting things on it. Don't put too much weight on it. Be careful that you don't kind of get your elbow on it and stuff. Watch your yeah, def but, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't open it until I'm ready. Going back to your point about knowing your oven. So, guys, if you ever go to a different country, that's going to be doubly important. You want to really make sure you know how that oven works first because it, be, it could be something completely alien than what you're used to and um I'll, if i ever go to the uk and i cook over there i'll have to really pay attention to what the oven door does because that's something i would not have thought about 
So that is good. And then, yeah, the fact that our oven doors stay open, I think it gives us an advantage, too, because of the fact that I'm good enough to where I don't need oven mitts to put something in the oven. Taking out, that's a whole different story. But I can also... With the oven door being open, it gives you the advantage of being able to use two hands instead of one to put something in the oven. So I, I, I don't know if you can, uh, what, if for any UK listeners out there, if you or anybody that has an oven that doesn't have the door open type flat, to maybe you can advocate for getting a different type of oven. I would argue that's a little bit uh, safer, but uh, then again, there's also the fact of what you're Probably. used to, so... You Go ahead. probably, if you shopped around, could get the ones with the doors dropping down in England as well. Probably. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it would be sort of safer if you know, if you can, if you can afford to, if that, if that makes sense for you, then. But, um, but yeah. just be aware of where your door is and what it's doing. Yeah. Yep. But um, yeah, that that is definitely interesting. So. Uh, Springform oven doors. All right. And the other thing I will mention with preheating an oven, like a gas oven is going to heat up quicker than an electric oven. That being said, I wonder with when it comes to preheating, if it's, well, I guess, Tori, your oven is electric. Like I was wondering, would gas be better to put in something in cold if it's baking just because it's not going to be warming up and warming up and warming up. It's going to go from like cold to hot and that might meet might make things bake a little bit more evenly. Yeah, my, my oven is electric. So. My, my stovetop is gas, right. but the oven is electric. Yep. See, I, I remember things from your kitchen tour, so I actually yeah. do pay attention. Who knew? Wow. I'm glad know. I was sitting down for that revelation. Definitely. All right, so uh, anything more, Tori, you or Carl, you think we should uh, discuss about uh, the uh, oven? Uh, not that I can think of. No. <clears throat> nope. I will definitely say definitely use two hands when taking something out of the oven, if at all possible, you can. The other thing you can do, let's say you do have one of those uh, springform oven doors, is, and you, you have to deal with the uh, one-handed, is if you know the thing is cooked, you can turn the oven off and let it cool down for a little bit. And if you can hold the door open, that'll let the heat escape out even more before taking something out. So if you've got dogs, you might want to make sure they're mm. not in the room. So yeah. guide dog users, don't leave your dog in the room while you've got the oven door open. Yeah, definitely. I think I would say, I guess, just to sort of summarize that I don't, I don't necessarily think I would, I, I wouldn't advocate, you know, using two hands normally with an oven door. Once, once it's open and it's sort of stopped moving and you're aware of it, it should be fine. I, I guess one other thing with an oven, of course, because you're bending over, I guess, is, is take your time. So it's okay to take your time to put something in. It's okay to take some time to make sure that you've got your balance okay. And it's really important to make sure that you have, because you'll be when you take something out of the oven, you'll be holding it with both hands. You'll, you'll then need to make sure that you know where you're going to put it. So make sure that you've got your space cleared where you're going to put it. Make sure that you've kind of worked out. Take your time with that movement so that you don't overbalance or anything like that so that's that's another thing just yeah take your time and get your spatial orientation figured out definitely all right well let's move on then so sometimes before we put stuff in the oven or when we take it out of the oven we need to uh, cut it and uh, all that good stuff Uh, what would you like to say about uh, cutting techniques so cutting techniques, I guess, because cutting and chopping obviously is one of the, that's one of the, that's an interesting one because that's one of the risks that sighted people often immediately think about. Like, what about using knives? Aren't you all dangerous with knives? And, so um, are they. 
well, yes. you know, we can all have accidents, can't we? And so I think what I would say about cutting techniques is, first of all, think about the utensils kind of available. If you're cutting, or if you're peeling a carrot or something like that, like we talked, I think last time about like potato peelers versus knives as a, in a cut in a sort of a peeling debate. I advocate, I mean, I use a knife mostly, but not all the time. And I advocate trying to use peelers if you can, because they are easy to manage. They are sort of, I guess, a bit safer if you slip. When it comes to sort of chopping and things, one of my main pieces of advice is make a flat surface as soon as you can. So what I mean by that is if you've got something like a potato or an onion, cut it in half first. So then you've got like a flat surface where like where the, you know, the middle faces, if you like, you can put them down face down where you've cut that and then you've immediately got a flat surface. So the vegetable, so the thing that you're cutting is stable. There are sometimes, perhaps when you're slicing a potato, that might be possible, in which case you want to essentially just like find the flattest surface, I guess, the most stable surface to kind of get it working on. But yeah, and the same with it with a with a with a with a carrot, you might be better off, for example, cutting them sort of julienne, so cutting them along into sort of matchsticks rather than circles, first of all, because you can then get used to cutting a carrot in half and then it's flat and then you can work on it like that. Or have half circles, I guess. So you've still got a flat base to work from. You can have carrot, um, carrot crescents. You can indeed, can't you? Have carrot crescents. So, so that's one thing. And when I was talking about like the, the right piece of uh, equipment, so like if you don't use the right size knife, really, don't have a big knife if you're chopping small thing. And you know, vice versa. Don't try and use like a little sort of paring knife to cut us. Well, I don't know, to cut a cabbage in half or a. Swede. What are they called? Rutabagas. Butternut squash. Yeah, the but- they call them rutabagas. Yeah. yeah that or a butternut squash exactly yeah use a bigger knife for that something that's the right size you can get chopping boards i think that have got like uh, spikes on them that you can sort of stab the item onto you can get like you can actually get like when you take a joint of meat out of the oven as well you can get like um carving dishes that have got like little studs on them that hold the piece of meat in place so that they don't slide around i wouldn't recommend that for sort of chopping raw veg on because it doesn't work in quite the same way but you can look at chopping boards that might help also when you've chopped and prepared your vegetable don't overload your chopping board so just do it a bit at a time and then transfer that into your into another kind of container because otherwise when you take your chopping board loaded with chopped onion and you're then sort of trying to sort of scrape that into the frying pan or something like that then you won't be able to control it some of it will fall off the sides and it'll be harder to manage so it's okay to to do it bits at a time you can uh something else there's a piece of equipment out there an ordinary piece of kitchen equipment which is a kind of chopping gadget it's used for sort of chopping things quite finely this is rather than sort of larger pieces but basically it's um like a little circle perhaps three or four perhaps five inches four or five inches in diameter and then there's sort of like a, a lid that goes over it, which has got a chopping blade in it. And the lid has got like a plunger on top of it. So you put this thing over the circular base and you press down on this plunger and it's like a manual chopper, basically. And blades come down from out of the lid, chop down through the thing. You do that a few times and because they retract when you let go of the thing. It's a manual thing. It's not electric or anything. And that's a way of quickly chopping something safely. But... Again, it's a specific piece of equipment. It's not going to work for all things. It's a gadget that's out there, particularly for round things. If we like chopping round things, that's a useful gadget. Onions, radishes, I don't know, that sort of thing. When it comes to chopping things in slices, 
what I tend to do is I sort of measure them, I suppose, with my finger. So I'm right-handed. So I will hold, let's say, a carrot. I want to kind of cut carrot circles. So I've got a carrot in my left hand and a knife in my right hand. So my carrot is on the chopping board. I will place the knife at the right-hand end of the carrot, touching the carrot. And I will then use my left-hand sort of fingers to sort of feel from the knife to like and move back like along the carrot to the thickness I want the slice. I will then lift the knife up and I will move the knife along the carrot till it meets the front of, not the top of, you don't want the top of our finger, and then you can sort of slice down. I've described it quite laboriously. It's obviously, it's a bit quicker than that, but that's a way of sort of measuring your slices. If you want to try and cut things maybe more evenly or something like that, that's kind of a, a way to do that. But again, like I said, we want to make sure that we're, that we're placing the knife in front of our, our guiding finger, not on it, and that we're really quite confident when we're ready to make a slice that our fingers are out of the way. And time is so important. One of the things to be assessed for eligibility for welfare benefits in the UK, there are a number of different criteria that they assess how you're affected in your daily life. And one of the things is timeliness. So how much does your disability make it slower for you to complete everyday tasks than might be expected of, of anybody else? And as a blind person, chopping and preparing fresh ingredients is what makes cooking take so long. And it's okay for it to take a while. You might have to plan and you might have to prepare, you know, and think ahead, start cooking earlier than you might otherwise have done so. But it does take longer. That's just a fact because you have to be safer in a different way. And so that's the thing with chopping. Take your time. It's okay to take your time. When you've got 20 years experience, you might be a bit faster. You won't get those if, if you lose all your fingers after six months. One way um, you can do the taking your time thing is maybe do some of the prep work earlier in the day and then put <clears> the stuff aside until you're ready to cook it. Yeah, I've got some ideas about timing and things like that to come, to come up later. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's no time like the present to talk about timing. Unless, did, Tori, did you have anything <laughs> else we should ask about the uh, chopping and slicing and all that? Uh, no, but I do want to add a comment. Something that will potentially help with getting the stuff from the chopping board into the container is to get a chopping board like the one that Carl got me, which slightly folds on the edges. So it kind of creates a pourable area. So you can right. um, stop the stuff that falling off the sides while you're pouring it on into the stuff. Yeah, yeah, it creates like a kind of a guide and it's available from an ordinary kitchen shop as well. It's not a specialist piece of equipment. It's just a purpose from an ordinary cookware shop. It's I'll my do... favorite chopping board. All right. Well, I'll have to look into that because I do make messes when trying to transfer things from the cutting board to the uh, pot or container or whatever. <clears> so... <throat> That would definitely be useful. I think Amazon sell them. All right. Well, you can get me a link, and uh, maybe we'll include it in the uh, email notes the, when we send out to things later on to the cooking list and all that. Whatever these things are we have. I have so many. Anyway. <laughs> so for anybody that's tuned in late, we are interviewing Carl Portman. He is the brother of our uh, fabulous co-host, Twinkling Tori. He is a second time offender, I mean, a guest here on the uh, <laughs> cooking call. Victim. The victim, yep. So, and Carl's had a lot of experience cooking. He's actually cooked uh, longer than I have. So uh, let's continue on then. He was cooking well into the last century. So I just started at the very end mm -hmm. of the last century. So Kirby, it's Anyway, <laughs> so let's talk about timing then. And uh, what to, tips and tricks do you have for uh, timing? I know we just talked about doing some things well in advance. That can uh, definitely help. 
Yes. So timing then. So timing is really important because, and this leads on to sort of a thing I want to talk about with um, expectations, what the expectations that you have on yourself and the expectations that you think other people might have of you as a cook. So I want to start with a bit of an anecdote, which is there's a UK TV chef called Jamie Oliver, who may have to be internationally famous to some of you. I'm not sure. And he had a TV show called Jamie's 15 Minute Meals. He declared that you'd be able to cook these meals in 15 minutes. The trouble is, is that in our kitchens, none of us have people to prepare all the ingredients ahead of time. None of us have time-lapse photography so we can watch things cooking more quickly. None of us have the professional experience that he does. And the ability and to so, do probably a lot of editing behind the scenes too. So. Absolutely right. So there was so much editing and that was a major criticism. I would like criticism. to point out in Jamie's defense, he does do his own prep stuff. It's just he does it so fast and then there's time-lapse stuff. So essentially, yeah, regardless of, I guess, where it, where it comes from, there's a lot of preparation. So 15-minute meals aren't realistically 15-minute meals. But the thing is, is that we see so much of that. When you see chefs on TV, when you sort of think, when you think about cooking in restaurants, that busy, fast chefing, you think about people sort of leaping and slicing and dicing. That's not real. That's not what happens in the world. And so we need to bear that in mind. We need to go easy on ourselves. Preparing in advance is, as we said, really important, uh, I think, as a blind cook. So chopping things up, weighing things out. So then when you're ready to cook, you're ready to go. So, for example, if you're making a stir fry, a stir fry is, is, is meant to be a nice, quick, easy meal. But when you stir frying, the idea is that the pan should be very hot because you're frying things quite quickly. And of course, it's stir frying, which means you need to be there stirring it more frequently than not. And if you're doing that, you can't be there chopping things. So if you've got like bell peppers and onions and I don't know, cabbage and meat or tofu or whatever ready to, you know, and you have to stop and, and, and cut those, it takes you a long time, which means that what's already in there is spoiling and, and sort of overcooking. And then you've got to add these new things to it. So everything's cooked at different times. So being prepared in advance so that you can add things at the right stage of your cooking is, is really important. So yeah, chop things up, weigh things out measure things up beforehand that might make more washing up essentially if you've got to sort of put like bowls and plates with these things on them but you can mix some of them together that need cooking at the, for the same length of time it's not that much more but it is better you will get a better meal out of it if you're cooking for guests you know you might need to sort of plan ahead cook things earlier lots of things can be can be chopped and peeled like early in the morning and then kept covered over of course to be, keep them safe and hygienic until you're ready to use them later in the day you might want to refrigerate a lot of raw ingredients particularly things like meat and fish and poultry and certain and vegetables sure and things and make sure that um, potatoes that are peeled and chopped ahead of time are put in water Yes, that's a good point, actually. A lot of root vegetables, particularly, yes, um, put water in the container that you've, that you've put them into to store them uh, just up to the level of the, of the, of the top of, of, the, of the ingredients. Yes, because that stops them from drying out and discolouring. That's a good point. So um, then I have a question then. So like mm -hmm. one of the problems, like if you refrigerate a regular potato, the starches in there can become sugar over time. So is that a risk if you're dealing with like chopped potatoes that are sitting in water it depends how long you have them for like technically yes it is a risk of course over a longer period of time i would say if you're cooking an evening meal then i would say that if if you if you chop and 
uh, slice or you know your, your potatoes earlier in the morning, then you won't have a problem. There shouldn't be a problem. Probably if you do it the night before, it should be okay. But if we're looking at perhaps more than 24 hours ahead of time, I think that's when you're going to start really seeing kind of that sort of deterioration, I think, that sort of problem. Yeah, it would take like 24 hours or more for it to start being obvious in the water that the starchiness yeah. is changing. You, you wouldn't want to reuse the water for anything else because absolutely it no, is the case no, that starches no, do no. leak. So, so, yeah, you want to dispose of that. Like, you know, it's not dangerous, I wouldn't, you know, it's not like it's like a crazy hazard, but it would very much taste of the weirdness of potatoes so you just want to you want to dispose of that water you don't use it for anything else definitely so uh, yeah so timings preparing in advance oven timings we've talked about of course kind of like adding a little bit of extra time when you're thinking about preheat whether you're you know if you're if you're heating from cold and uh, yeah i think about kind of expectations on yourself i think that when you um kitchen timers that's a, a point about timing how you're going to to use your kitchen timer it, i think a kitchen timer is a good thing of some description whether or not you tell your phone set a timer for 20 minutes something like that like uh, rather than having a, a, a specific lady a uh, we don't say the a person's name the, the, oh, the I thing see. dad calls dotty I see. Okay, sorry because yes, we don't want to yeah. activate everybody's device so we yeah, call ask it your lady smart a. speaker yes i see Yes, ask your smart speaker to um, to time for you, yep. or uh, if you have a the, your your oven or your microwave oven might have timer functions on them that you can use. I mean, some of the more technical ovens nowadays they will turn off when the timer kind of finishes, but obviously most of those are touchscreen, flat screen, inaccessible monstrosities. Which or we they've got a nice heartily. style, but you can't tell exactly what <clears> the number it's on. Yeah, so that, you know, anyway, to make it inaccessible. Yes, mm-hmm. um, more than happy to. <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah, the bane of the the bane of the blind person is the flat screen gadget. I think I would say, but oven timers, and but when you're using an oven timer, of course, things need different timings. So let's say I'm roasting a joint of meat that needs two hours. Let's just say it might not depends on the weight. Uh, then I need to I want to roast some potatoes and I want to put those in separate, and so they need to go in. They need maybe an hour, three quarters of an hour, depending on how big, how large they are when you cut them and whether you part boil them first. So they need to go in an hour earlier. Then I need to put the some greens on the stovetop. I might be boiling some greens. They might want 20 to 30 minutes, depending on how soft you like them and how long it takes to heat the water up. And exactly which greens they are. And exactly which greens they are. So... And unfortunately, you, 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 it takes me at least seven hours to get to your house for dinner. So I know, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you need to set your time away earlier. <laughs> so the thing with that is that you need to obviously keep track of the aggregate time, if you like. So something's taken an hour. You might want to sort of set a timer for an hour, for example, then set it for another hour because, oh, sorry, then set it for 30 minutes. Yeah. So we set it for a first hour. Then it goes off. We put the potatoes in, set it for 30 minutes. That goes off. We put the greens in. Uh, on we set that for 30 minutes and then everything should theoretically be ready at the same time but you need to kind of keep track of that aggregate time and think about the time in between that is taking you to prepare stuff like the, the, the first things are still cooking in there and so you need to sort of bear that in mind when you're planning your time when you're starting to prepare for things but a timer is a, just a good thing because if you've got if you if you're go off and do something else you might think you, you might forget what time you put them in if you're a bit absent-minded, like I am, and you think, was that 22 or was it 25 to? I don't remember. And then all those extra five minutes can start adding up. Yep. If you're using smart devices to set your timers, you can actually even label your timers so you know what it's telling you to you need to do. Yeah, that's a good you can call. Give some names. Yeah, and set multiple yep. timers and alarms. Yep. So 
I was going on to say that food is normally fairly forgiving. When a food, like timing as well, is about cooking times, are the instructions on the packages of food. So they are a great guideline, but they have to just be a guideline because the way that people's ovens heat up, the way that people's kind of stoves kind of heat up, the way that people prepare them and just, just you know, and distribute their food, like when they're cooking them, will vary. So in general, they're about right. But never assume from the packaging, always check your food is cooked, regardless of, you know, of, of, of the timing. And also normally five or so minutes each way, particularly over, it's better that something's overdone, I think, than that it's underdone because yes. raw stuff is more dangerous I agree. than overcooked stuff. I think um, Chanel sometimes disagrees with me on that point, but that's why things <laughs> can sometimes turn out a little bit crispier. Than... Yeah, but Ch- Chanel's, Chanel's got a texture. Yes. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but that being said, other listeners might too. So, but that, yeah, they're, they're, but there are definitely yeah. caveats, aren't there? But um, yeah, but yeah, but it's probably better that things are slightly overdone, and you'll start getting the hang of it. I think the, the thing as well: don't be afraid to make mistakes. If something doesn't work out, why didn't it work out? Take some time to sort of. I talked about taking time to get to know your oven, and obviously, this process isn't like a complicated you know, sort of, I don't know, SWOT analysis. You're not thinking of the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats of your cooking. You're thinking about what happened. What is wrong with it? Is it overcooked? Okay, try it five minutes less next time. Is it undercooked? Well, then cook it longer um, next time. And if something is undercooked, depending on what it is, you might be able to heat it up again. So to try putting things in the microwave for a few more, for a few minutes, it can spoil the texture a little bit. But on the other hand, if it's the difference between that and wasting hours of work um, you can also if you've got a decent quality <clears throat> plate just put your plate in the oven for a couple of minutes yeah but you need to be careful about putting plates directly particularly cold plates on hot ovens when for example there are lots of recipes like for making souffles and things like that individual souffles where you put them in like glass pots in the oven but when you do things like that normally there, there are there are a couple of things one is to um put some damp newspaper on the bottom of you put them on a tray rather than putting them in individual plates or individual um, pots straight onto the oven shelf you arrange them in a in a baking tray either with some wet newspaper underneath them to sort of cushion them from the bottom or put water in the tray so half fill the tray with water first or not half fill actually because you need to make sure that you don't overfill it when you start adding other things and it displaces the water volume but put water in the tray first that's because glass isn't good. You need to make sure that what you're putting in the oven is oven proof. Um, and, and a lot of, I think, domestic crockery isn't designed for that. So you do need, you, you need to be careful. But your Tory is right that the right things in the right way can, can, can be okay. And, uh, yeah. That's why I said, depending on the plate you've got. Yep. Now, one thing I will mention is uh, for, for anybody that's cooking in any restaurants or health things over here, uh, we cannot use newspaper the way they can in the UK. So just thought I'd have to me- wanted to mention that. So here you might, but there are definitely other paper like yeah. foil things, oh, would, or you could probably use like parchment paper or something. Maybe I would certainly say when I talk about using newspaper, I would obviously not advocate that in a catering environment. That's not necessarily a, a positive health and safety thing. That's where you would really water is better. Really, you should put water in. I've seen recipe books that have advised using newspaper. I've never done it, but I've seen recipe books that advise using damp newspaper 
but yeah, you should put water in them really because the water is actually going to be more even temperature as well. All right, we we have to put the disclaimer in because if somebody starts a fire and says, "Well, I learned no, I no. can use newspaper," and no, he did also say wet fair. newspaper that's... if you do if you do. I use did that say method, wet newspaper. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. and he means wet, not barely damp. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, all right. I, yeah, and sometimes no, it's it so point. bad you want to burn the paper anyway, but uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but not in the oven. So I think, um, are we done with timing? I think we might be done with timing. I think, um, yeah, I think, I think we're done with timing. Yeah. <laughs> and remember that if you have as other disabilities to consider as well as your blindness and you need to do a little bit of prep work and then go off and do something else because you can't sit for long or you can't hold stuff for long or whatever, that is okay too. Just allow for that when you're planning your timing for prep work. Yes, indeed. Let's talk about the good and the bad about specialized cooking equipment. Now, there definitely can be some uh, good ones, like that uh, foldable uh, cutting board that uh, Carl had gotten Tori and that we were talking about. But um, I I think you and I have some very similar opinions on this particular subject overall. Yeah, I think in general, most I don't find most specialist equipment to be that helpful. But... I think it's really important that everybody tries different things to see what works out. So I didn't have any when I learned to cook as much as anything. So I didn't use any. And now I'm just not used to it. And now I find it. So, for example, that specialist equipment tries to, tries to cater for so many people. So you might get something with larger, easier to grip handles, which is great if you're perhaps struggling with things like arthritis or some other dexterity uh, problems. But actually, it can be quite unusual when you're used to using standard utensils if you don't have some of those difficulties some pieces of equipment which are quite useful you can get rubber mats which are used to hold things in place so if you're perhaps you've got like a a hot dish that you're serving from and you need one hand to hold the serving spoon and the other hand to kind of guide it but when you then scoop something out, you're knocking them through the bowl, the, the, the pot, whatever the food's in, and that's sliding across the, the surface. You can get these rubber cutting mats, which are good for most temperatures. They're actually particularly good for cold things, like if you're holding a mixing bowl and you're trying to mix ingredients for a cake or whisk up perhaps batter for pancakes or souffle or, or whisking up an omelette, perhaps. So they can be kind of useful because they will sort of hold things in place so you can use your hands for the things. Because obviously that the hands are our depth perception. And so using two hands for a project is the aim when you can't see really, I think. But mostly just, yeah, using ordinary stuff because ordinary stuff is designed to be really user-friendly. They want you to keep using their stuff. They want you, the manufacturers want you to like their thing. They want you to like their style of thing. And so they want it to be like ergonomically comfortable. They want it to be effective. They want it to um, do what it says on the on the tin. Because if it breaks, they want you to come and buy their one again. Pieces of equipment I think that I find quite useful in the kitchen. I do have a set of talking kitchen scales, um, weighing scales. We need to make sure there are two ways of cooking. Some people absolutely do what you could call seat of your pants cooking, where it's mostly about guesswork. And actually, I do that with quite a few things now. But the first time I cook something new, I nearly always follow the recipe because the recipe is there for a reason. So see what it's meant to look like. Then you can change your mind. Then you can modify it. Then you can start getting experimental but try first see what it's meant to be like the only time i modify from the first time is if i'm a, a veganizing something yep yeah otherwise so, it's one time i'll do as i'm told so yeah yeah well there you go <laughs> 
something I'm not going to get into there. So yeah, so t- so yeah, you weighing things, talking weighing scales. I put labels and on things. Braille measuring cups. Braille measure, absolutely, yeah. Braille measuring cups are great, and I have a braille measuring jug as well because I guess those are things that are relatively uh, important. Is kind of yeah, getting quantities right in most, particularly in baking and stuff like that. Most savoury cooking, yeah. like sort of pasta bakes and casseroles and stir fries and whatever. Actually, it's not so much. It's not such a problem. It's all about like adding ingredients to taste. If you really like kimchi, then put a lot of kimchi in your food, uh, which is a type of Chinese uh, Japanese cabbage, I think. Isn't it or Chinese cabbage? Yes, I can't remember which Chinese one. Chinese cabbage. But if you if you uh, don't, then put less. Blending soups is an interesting one. So I use a perfectly ordinary hand blender, like a like an electric kind of hand blender to blend soup. So when you cook soup, this is this is an interesting and potentially messy and fraught project for everybody. So there are two types of soup really. There's chunky soup, and then there's kind of smooth soup. And when you have a smoother soup. And the chunky soup is more or less a stew, essentially, but with more water in it. So you put your ingredients in and you might sort of fry some of the softer veg a little bit. And then you'll add, you know, the rest of the ingredients and the water and simmer that till everything's ready. And then eat it as it is in sort of in the stock. So it's kind of like a runny stew, I guess. But most soups are blended, at least partially. So you'll do all of that and then you'll take it off the heat and then you'll put a blender in it or pour, put it into a blender and you'll blend at least some of it so that, that that's a good way of thickening soups as well. That thickens them up. But of course, what's actually happening is that you're sort of curling pot like wet soup around the kitchen, which is not advisable. When you are blending soup, if you're using a hand blender for soup, it must stay submerged. That's a particular trick. So make sure that the hand blender isn't like you, you aren't lifting it out so that it's sort of if because if it's at the surface level of the, the liquid, then that's when the blades can sort of start flicking stuff everywhere. So keep that submerged if you need to lift it up to move it to a new place turn it off turn it off lift it out put it in turn it on like um do it like that so that you're kind of keeping stuff that will keep your kitchen way cleaner it'll keep you less scolded which is our aim here and um and yeah, less and, food waste and less food waste exactly um when you are blending with a hand blender though and or with an electric whisk if you're whisking a cake or something like that you need to keep two things one keep your hand out of the pot regardless of how desperate you are to find out where the where the where the prongs and blades are do not do this you should keep your hands out you know if you're a bit confused turn it off find out what's going on then go back um and the flex as well make sure that the cord that's plugging the gadget in isn't trailing in the food as well yeah um you know so those are sort of some important things to check again it might make it take it longer but it is much better than being electrocuted, um, dismembered, or scalded. None of those things are good, good cooking outcomes. Um, so yeah, so those are those are sort of uh, things. Um, a palette knife. So a palette knife, for those who aren't aware, is a flat. Uh, is, it's kind of a, a knife with a rounded end. It doesn't have sharp sides. It's designed and it's quite flexible. It's quite a, a sort of a flexible, um, th- uh, sort of thin, uh, like flexible kind of metal. The idea of that is that you use it to ease under things like when you're when you've baked something um, or when there's like like a pizza on a tray. It works for pizzas. If you're baking cookies, the idea is that you sort of ease it under that sort of hold it sort of flat to the edge of your tray and slide it under your baked thing so that you can like if it's stuck to the bottom of your pan that you're you know, when you take it out of the oven to the bottom of your tray, this is for baking things. It's not used for other types of cooking. 
um, and then you can sort of ease the ease it because if you sort of try and slide a like a a, a fish slice or a slice sorry a fish slice or some kind of serving implement underneath something, but it's not properly released from the base of the tray, then you could pull it to pieces. You could like end up tipping it, flipping it over, and pouring all of your pie filling or your pizza topping everywhere. Um, so yeah, so so use. I love my palette knife. I use you know just to make sure that things are nice and released, so that you know they're ready. They're ready to to move. Um, another thing is lots of stuff that people might find helpful are kind of already there. Really, rather than thinking about buying or sourcing specialist pieces of equipment, look at what's out in it in ordinary kitchen shops. We talk, you know, cooking stores or homeware stores. We talked about this chopping board with the slightly foldable sides. Like that is a perfectly ordinary piece of cooking equipment because it helps everybody really. And that's what we want to see really, that sort of mainstream, mainstreaming of those kind of things because everyone finds them useful. Something that some people have done in the past, I learned about this when making chocolate. Um, if you're, uh, uh, if you're um, cooking with something that's, like quite messy cakes actually this is a good one when you're sort of putting cake mix into uh into little the paper cake or muffin cases is to actually before you start working spread cling film or saran wrap or whatever the correct term is um over your worktop environmentally it's not a great thing um because it's possibly kind of a bit of a, a bit of a waste but on the other hand what it does do is it stops you from getting stuff stuck on your workstop, worktop, and then you'll be able to, once you've moved everything, just be able to roll that up and throw it in the bin, and it'll, it does make kind of cleaning up easier. I don't do that often, but as I said, when you're using when you're like using things like melted chocolate, melted chocolate drips and then hardens, and it can be really hard to get it off of the work surface. Yep. So that can if... be a really thing, or parchment paper maybe. I was going to say, if you don't want to be using plasticky stuff, then you you could use parchment paper or foil. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, again, obviously, they need to be thrown away, so it can feel a bit kind of wasteful, but then you'd be doing that anyway. Or, I guess, work over some other surface. Like, if you have, like, a like a large sort of chopping board or something like that that you can work on that you'll be able to then more easily take to the sink or something like that, you could, you could look at that. Or even a larger tray or something, a baking sheet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, a larger baking sheet. But um, yeah, those are some of the uh, sort of some of the things to to bear in mind. So I would say uh, with with equipment, I can't stress enough the importance of just taking your time, I guess, and working to your work, you know, looking at what works for you, trying different things. Um, if something doesn't work, think about why, like, now, why did I not like that? Was it because I didn't find that comfortable? Was it because the angle I was working at? Try working in a different place in the kitchen. Uh, for example, I have a, a piece of work surface I could use where my uh, just just where my washing machine is. If the washing machine sticks out slightly, then you can't kind of get quite so level with it, you know. Um, so that's not a great work surface to work at, um, and so I don't often work there. So just just uh, if it's about lighting, if you have low vision find the best lit section or get a strip light or something put up in the section where it's better for you to work so that you'll be able to sort of to see to, to use that vision if you if you rely on it if you kind of find it useful um um take 
you know, take your time, make sure that the clothes that you're wearing aren't going to drag. So don't have loose sleeves or wear like bathrobes or house coats or whatever, so that you've got like, like um, tie strings, you know, at the front that might sort of drip in things or catch on pot handles or, you know, catch on fire. Um, wear the right clothes. You want something with long, tight sleeves that's fairly sort of tight, not tight, I guess, but, you know, that's, that's fairly well fitting. So that you know there aren't loose bits of clothes kind of dragging about to catch on things. I recommend having an apron. Actually, I don't wear an apron myself much these days. But whenever I whenever I make a mess, I regret not wearing an apron. It might not be fashionable. It might not be stylish. But you know it saves messes. You know, and that's what they're they're there for. They tie at the back so that holds them in place. Um, be really aware of your surroundings. Don't leave unattended papers and dishcloths near the cooker near the stove don't rest things on the stove top as much as you can help because you may like in in um because if you're not sure if they're turned on particularly things like sort of there's there was a spate actually in the uk of news stories where people would sort of coming in from grocery shopping and we had plastic grocery bags in the uk at the time uh like the standard sort of carrier bags which we're now sort of uh not using trying much, to phase really, out which is really good um, but people were putting these carrier bags of groceries, but they'd knocked the they'd knocked the stovetop. They'd knocked one of the, the knobs for the stovetop and it had turned on and then they were melting plastic all over their stovetop and all sorts. Like there was one incident with like which newspapers used to startle us into behaving ourselves, where literally somebody there was a, a an aerosol deodorant in this bag and it exploded and genuinely did structural damage to that person's house. And that was a sighted person, an ordinary sort of person who was just yeah. rushing around, not being safe, not being sensible. Something I yeah. do is I turn my cooker off at the wall. My my um, and I turn the, the supply off at the wall when I'm not using it because then if I do knock a uh, knock a control knob, it's not going to. I'm not going to sort of not notice it, you know, or I, I might not notice it, but I'm not going to then sort of suddenly have an unexpected hot um, stove. you put a, the, the sighted person in your house left on top of the stovetop. Now, one thing I will mention over here is, because we use a lot more circuit breakers and whatnot, um, before you look into turning off the, if you consider turning off the power supply to your thing, your stove may or may not be on the same circuit as like other appliances, like your fridge or whatever. So something to make note of if you yeah, try double to check that. That's, yeah, that's a very good point. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Um, and another one other thing, which kind of should be one of the first things, really, is the pan handle. Pan handles, this is cooking 101, whether you can see or not. It's the first rule of cooking. Pan handles go to the side or towards the back of the stovetop. They do not stick out the front of the stovetop. That is just no. like Dangerous. the most obvious thing. Because obviously, you know, yeah. But it's a lesson that a lot of people fail to learn. Yeah, like a lot of people kind of like think about it because it's actually they might be easy to reach, but you you know you learn you learn the 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 uncomfortable way, and they might they might these things might be obvious, and and actually I really want to say that obviously I'm talking about this, I I'm, I don't want people to feel in any way patronised as well because we're all at different places here, we're all at different levels, and we we all need to respect that, and so for some people that might be like oh gosh a good point I hadn't thought of that, and for some people that might be like well obviously so um. 
yeah so i mean i recognize that obviously we're all going to be different places and some of these things might be helpful for people some of these things might not be helpful for people um uh, you know but that's where i talk about like thinking about your yourself what level are you at respecting your confidence respecting your knowledge respecting your comfort zones and comfort levels respecting your manual dexterity and and, and, and mobility um something else as well actually is that you can get sort of like little perching stools which sort of fold out um and and they're designed as sort of small stools that you don't necessarily sit on properly but you sort of rest your um you sort of rest your bottom on them i guess so that you're sort of taking the weight off your feet um but you're still more or less standing um and they're a perfectly uh, fairly ordinary piece of equipment that you can get in in a lot of um like um, furniture shops although they, they are probably easier to source from more specialist providers but they're not expensive so if you have mobility difficulties or if you're unsteady on your feet in the kitchen carry that with you have that with you so that you can move that to the new place where you're going to sit and work if you're going to chop vegetables or if you're going to sort of stop somewhere to, to dish up or or even if it sort of um you know helps you to give kind of a stable thing to to move hot uh you know, something I don't know to sort of sit at the stove or you know perch kind of in front of the stove just respect what your needs are really because that's okay if that's what you need in your kitchen no one has a right to tell you otherwise if that's what helps you to be independent it is still independence it's you know it's more independent to be doing this to be cooking these things to be taking control of ordinary things that people take for granted than it is you know to 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 sort of feel that this 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 equipment isn't right for you because as Her, you know herbie and i might not um use much specialist equipment might not find that a lot of the things that in the uk the royal national institute of blind people the rnib sell um so even if you look at their online catalog i don't know what the uh us equivalent or the canadian equivalent of those they've got um they have got some stuff from certain organizations but they also a lot of their stuff comes from the braille superstore or blind my smart there we go so yeah so you might look at what those offer you and actually you might find that some of their pieces of equipment are really good because there are things that you'll find everyone's got their favorite little kitchen thing i was on about my palette knife to make sure i can easily transfer things off of baking trays that's an ordinary piece of equipment but yeah, so don't be afraid to try these things. It's about you. You're cooking. Cooking should be fun, really. We're not cooking professionally here. We're cooking to enjoy ourselves. Um, you know, we're cooking so that we're not, you know, so that we have more choice and control over what we eat from the health perspective, from an environmental perspective, just from a taste perspective, from a fun perspective. Um, and so, yeah, we, we're allowed to be in control of those choices. And something I want to go back to when we were saying about putting stuff on the worktop is I actually have uh, some glass worktop savers on all of my counters, which A, they can be picked up and moved to be cleaned more easily than the counter itself can. Um, and B, they are the kind of glass that is okay to put hot stuff on. So it means wherever I'm putting stuff on my counters it's a safe place to put the hot pot or tray or whatever that's a very good point actually the kind of glass or worktop savers are they're a really good call because if you've got them got them all over two things i would uh i would add though firstly that they are still glass so be careful about how hard you put things down on them because they Absolutely. are toughened glass but be careful not to damage them secondly uh be is is glass is slippery when wet as we all know from washing up so be like make sure you know to 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 take 
good holds of them when you're sort of drying them after washing them. And thirdly, make sure to clean underneath them as well, because obviously like they aren't like a yes. continuous surface. So make sure that when you take them out to clean them, that you clean the undersides and you clean the worktop underneath them to avoid kind of mold and yeah, maggots. Yeah, the bits and, that get down yeah. in the cracks. And, yeah. yeah, but actually I, I forgot about them. They're a really good idea. They might be more expensive, or they are more expensive. But then again, they're a much more, I guess, environmentally they're actually not all that expensive yeah. these days. Right, um, I mean, each one of mine costs like somewhere between five and ten pound. So we're looking at fifteen to so fifteen-ish dollars, ten, ten, ten to fifteen uh, dollars, ten, give or take ten dollars. So well, computer, yeah. How many is how? Uh, computer again. How much is ten pounds in American dollars? Ten pounds is about twelve US dollars and eighteen cents. Yeah, so there you go. So Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, so yeah, sort of yeah. Um and that's and and um and then that's obviously a, a better way uh than sort of you know covering your worktop in um like a throwaway sort of uh, product. So so like because I'm yes, you know, I kind of advocate and that. One even if it costs a little more to buy them than it would potentially to buy, say, the, the clinging yeah. slash saran wrap, initially, yeah. in the long term, it works out cheaper. Yeah. Wash your hands. This is a really interesting thing, actually. But when you're blind, you use your hands for everything. Um, uh, it's quite obviously a lot of society people use their hands for everything, too. But since we use them for navigating and we use them sort of, you know, for, for, for everything, you know, for that we, that we might do, I do find myself washing my hands a lot, um, and uh, particularly when I'm cooking. So even if I'm cooking myself, you just you just don't know. It's good hygiene practice. Wash your hands. Oh, and if you've got long hair, tie your hair back. Be ready to cook. That's another thing about preparedness. We might have talked about some of this last time. Sorry if we're going over old ground. But yeah, wash your hands regularly, um, especially between handling raw and cooked ingredients. Really, really wash your hands then. Tie your hair back ahead of time. Um, and um, you might want to wash up as you go along as well. So have a sink with hot water in it so that, you know, if you think if you've got limited space in your kitchen or if you haven't got many utensils and you need to reuse things, you want to wash them up properly, really. If you're starting to transferring between using them for meat or vegetables or for raw and cooked things or just so that they're clean, ready, ready to go again, that will give you more space to work with. And, or if you um, have a yeah. dishwasher, put stuff in it as you go. Yeah, unless you're going to need it again, absolutely. Put stuff in it as you go because then, and also that means dish, work, loading the dishwasher then doesn't feel like such a chore because it's essentially done as you go along. I love my dishwasher. I want a dishwasher. I want a dishwasher. Yeah. Like it's, I'm no environmentally. I suppose it's not great with energy prices the way they are in the UK. Like you, know, I still you, you want might one. think, but I still love it. It's 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 my concession to the. Yes, yeah, it's, it's in the modern world. I only um, so, don't have one because I don't have a space I can put it. Oh, no, our apartment final... never, didn't come with one, so otherwise I'd, I'd, I'd get one. Yeah. Because of the way uh, the cupboards are, there isn't anywhere I can put it where it can reach plumbing. I was lucky when my kitchen was last fitted, I was able to leave a space. Um, yes, but you own yeah. your house. Well, I didn't know that. Not when, I, not when that happened, I didn't. No, but, but you do now. now, which means yeah. that if you didn't have a space, you could say, well, I'm going to make a space. I could make one. one. Yeah. yeah. Power. Right. Yes. And the commitment. I don't own a house. God. Um, so one other point on specialist equipment is, uh, I think, labelling. So labelling jars, 
there are lots of different labeling solutions that people find work for them. There's a gadget that you can get in the UK, which is probably the piece of specialist equipment I would say I use the most in the kitchen. I, actually, it's called a pen friend. And it's basically sort of uh, like the size of a They have sturdy... them over here too. Yep. They do? they do have them. They do have yeah? them. Well, I recommend investigating the pen friend. Basically, you get these little adhesive labels, which I think, which this gadget sort of interacts with, and you can record little messages on the labels. So I use them, like I've got quite a lot of herbs when I cook. I, like, I use kind of dried and ground herbs a lot, but I've got like, I don't know, I think 30 odd jars of herbs. Yeah, um, me too. And I don't use some of them all the time. Um, and I don't keep them necessarily in a particular order because that's quite a lot to try and remember. So I label, I label them. I, they're in these sort of racks and I've got labels on the lids and I can just move this pen friend over it and it will say mixed herbs, which is a bit of a cheat. You know, it'll say, you know, like oregano, ground allspice, that's one, yeah, or whatever. And then you can sort of find those more easily. You can use Braille labels, but the thing with a lot of the adhesive, like Braille label solutions is that the Braille, I find that they come off quite easily. Kayla um, actually it... has a fixable solution for that. You know the big sheets of uh, stuff that you cut yourself? Yeah, to make the, the sticky back that, plastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that actually sticks better and stays stuck better. Yeah, it does stick better than Dymo tape, doesn't it? Like it certainly it does. does stick better yeah. than tape. But the thing with kitchens is that things get greasy and oily and that sort of is what affects kind of adhesion, yeah. I think. Also, of course, if you stuck labels on things, you can't easily put them in, in, in hot washing up water. It doesn't do any damage, but it just it just sort of breaks down the adhesive parts of labels and stuff. And then mm-hmm. they'll kind of come off. So you need to think about what you're labeling. But sort of voice labels with the, with the, with the pen friend braille labels. But yeah, using sheets of plastic and getting them cut out rather than Dymo tape definitely is better and easier to use on a, like a braille machine. And also there's different types of sort of product. We used to have a product called Highmark. I think it was called H-I hyphen M-A-R-K, which was basically like a, a product that you sort of, it comes out in sort of a gel form and also you can use it. Also Mark. Tactimark, there we go. Thank you. And it comes out in a gel form and you can like put it on like dials, particularly good for dials, like for microwaves, washing machines, ovens, uh, you know, or your, your, your stove kind of. And, and um, you can then see when you get to the next increment, you can't really use it to make meaningful labels on the spaces available in on those sorts of devices. But it is a way of having um, marks on them so that you could tell, like, you know, when you get to sort of, you know, you can mark it like on the oven, you can mark it in sort of, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 degree increments or something like that. So that at least you've got an idea and you can gauge kind of where you're, that you're putting things to the right temperature and, and stuff and, and, and those sorts of things. And so there are with lower vision who may be able to see that, but not necessarily read the numbers. It does actually come in different colors. Yeah. So for contrast purposes. Yes. Yeah, so I guess those are sort of some pieces of specialist equipment that maybe are um, kind of helpful. Just enjoy yourself. Try and find a way to make cooking fun. That's that's the rules of cooking because it's a chore. We have to do it. We have to eat every day. That feels really annoying sometimes and we really resent the time it's going to take us. So if we're in control of that, then it's fun. And that makes it, you should enjoy it, make most of it. All right. Um, you know, so I tell you what, we can maybe try to end a little bit on a fun note here. Um, omelets. 
What's your trick to making good omelets? Okay, my trick to making good omelets. The trick to most frying is to make sure the pan's hot first. So put a small amount of oil. You don't want much oil, really. People put too much oil in when they're frying in most cases, I think, unless you're perhaps frying something that needs... Yeah, but people put more oil in than they need. Oil goes a long way. So put oil in a cold pan. Never pour oil into a hot pan because that's one of the most common ways of starting a kitchen fire, depending on how hot the pan is, of course. And burning your arm. And, and, and burning your arm as the oil sort of scolds. So put oil in a cold pan and you can measure then with your fingers how much is in there. You really don't need very much. It's a very thin coating on the bottom so things don't stick. Heat the pan up then, put that on the hob. Make sure everything's mixed in together. So when I make an omelette, I beat the eggs first and then I might add, like if I'm putting, for example, um, let's say I want to make like a cheese and mushroom omelette or something, I'll chop mushrooms and grate the cheese. I'll beat the eggs and a bit of milk and maybe a little bit of salt and pepper. Not salt. I very rarely put salt in things these days because there's so much salt in other stuff, especially right. cheese. So and we, yeah, we, we all, nearly all have more salt than we need. That's so, not visiting. A bit of garlic doesn't hurt. No, well, absolutely. I guess, yeah, flavour to taste, essentially. So beat the eggs with a little bit of milk and um, then flavour to taste with your ingredients. So mix in your cheese and your eggs, and th- uh, your mushrooms, let's say. I'm doing my cheese and, cheese and mushrooms. Mix that in. Do that in the bowl. Don't add them. Some people obviously might sort of scatter them over the omelette when it's... Um, in the pan but that's not practical because you can't do it kind of evenly it needs to be then poured out fairly fast and then you want to sort of slightly shake the pan that's not quite right but you want to sort of jiggle it on the hob like slide it slightly to sort of make sure that the ingredients slightly to one side and then the other and then the other to sort of make sure that the ingredients are spread flat but be careful when you're doing that you don't need to go very far gravity's a fickle mistress that's the quote from today. And it's the rules of cooking as well. Like if you drop something, it'll always land like bad side down. So yeah, welcome to gravity. But the reason that the pan needs to be hot is because when you uh, cook something, uh, uh, flipping an omelette is a problem. When my omelettes come unstuck, it's mostly because they haven't, which is to say that if I uh, haven't put enough oil in or if the pan wasn't hot enough yet, then it takes longer to cook them underneath and then they'll tend to sort of stick more or I'll misjudge the time and I'll try and to, to flip an omelette because I tend to try and, I might try and flip it. You possibly don't need to, depending on how thick you've made it. If it's quite thin, you might not need to, but if it's thick, you might do. But you need to make sure that the base is properly cooked first, otherwise it will just fall apart. So go around the edge of the pan, easing a spatula in, spatula in under the edges to make sure that you've sort of released it kind of halfway through cooking and then sort of try and uh, sort of turn it then possibly kind of using like you herb- would with a pancake. Yeah, basically. Try possibly using Herbie's like two spatula technique that he was talking about with eggs where you sort of put one underneath, one above it. It's a bit harder with a larger thing like an omelette and you need to kind of turn it fairly quickly, I guess if you can and then of course it it can be hard to make sure that you've put it back down like face down in the pan if you want to flip it if you make thinner omelets you shouldn't need to do that so much but that depends on the size of your pan and 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 your ingredients i probably overcook omelets which is a sad thing for the omelet because they don't actually take that long but it depends what you put in them of course you do need to make sure that the ingredients are cooked so if you're making like let's say a bacon you know a sort of like a I don't know, some kind of uh, bacon or, or sort of meat omelette, bacon or a sort of a chicken, like a Spanish omelette maybe. I guess they're a bit different because they're a bit thicker. They're sort of obviously more of a sort of a potato 
a thick sort of potato cake, really. They'll need flipping. And you might want to sort of cook the meat first, make sure that your ingredients are cooked properly first. But if you're making a standard sort of your cheese and, and you know, cheese and mushroom omelette, it should be okay to cook, especially with spring onions, because scallions, they cook quite quickly. So like a nice, look, like cut, cutting along them, you've got little rings of scallion with a bit of cheese. I'll make a good omelette. It would. Oh, yeah, all right. Very good. And I guess you could also use garlic if you wanted to prevent your dad from visiting. Hey, uh, we're coming well, exactly. with, with garlic today, so uh, just just that yeah. I let you know. Uh, oh, come by another time then. So, uh, there you go. Pancakes, and you also mentioned those. I've always thought, the thing I've always thought about with pancakes is, I mean, like, you want to be careful when flipping those because you don't want them to uh, come apart too much. But I guess if you make them smaller, that would probably solve that problem. Yeah, use a smaller pan. Well, over here, we tend to make them smaller than you guys do anyway, Herbie. Oh, that, that, you, that, that's well, good you, point. UK pancakes are thinner. That's one of the main things. When we have when we have pancakes, we make thinner pancakes, more like a crepe, like a European crepe. Yes, yep. Um, and so we um, yeah, tend to make them thinner. Pancakes, actually, because it's like Shrove Tuesday, sort of, which we celebrate over here by sort of making pancakes. I don't know if that's quite such a thing in, UK, in the US. So Shrove Tuesday is the day before Lent starts in the Christian calendar. And kind of it's a bit of a UK institution. That time that, you know, on that day, it was traditionally a feast day before fasting for Lent, kind of in like it's tradition. That's where they, the tradition they do comes from. Ha- have it as a sort of feast day, but they do Mardi Gras and it's not, and they don't do pancakes. Oh, of course, yes, yeah. We celebrate it with pancakes by making pancakes, and we make thinner sort of crepes of pancakes. So obviously, that was quite recent. And I was thinking about that when I was cooking my pancakes this year. So I made American style pancakes. I had a couple of thick ones. Well. There's no accounting for taste. No, actually, American pancakes are great. And one of the one of the things I remember most, actually, when I came to visit a friend in America, is the pancakes. Just how much maple syrup you can get one pancake to absorb. It's wonderful I know, science. Right? So, I so, had it with maple syrup but and blueberries. Cooking, but thinking about cooking pancakes, I guess, when you're thinking about sort of the techniques and things like that, use the right size pan for the pancakes that you want. So I know that's a bit of a weird thing, but making smaller pancakes is often better because, as Herbie said, they're easier to control and easier to flip. If you spread a pancake across like a large, like I have a large frying pan that I might use to sort of like make up vegetables and mince and whatever for the preparations for like chili or a bolognese or or, or, or for cooking perhaps a big omelette or something like that. But then I have a smaller frying pan that I would tend to use to make pancakes because even if they're smaller and you get sort of more smaller ones, like like you, you can you can go around the edges and sort of ease the bases like off with a spatula like I was talking about with an omelette to make sure they're ready to flip. Make sure the pan is hot. That really is a secret with a lot of frying. I can't stress enough. The pan has to be really, really hot. Not like don't sort of have it on like the highest setting. But but you need to get the pan to cooking temperature before you put things in. Definitely, and that makes such a difference. And you want. And please you, don't check that it is with your hand. No, 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 no. no, no. The, what you're normally supposed to do is to drop a very tiny amount of mixture in, and if it sizzles, then it's ready to go. That's what you're normally supposed to do with with frying things. Like like if you're if you're if you're frying like for example savory things. Like when you want to heat the oil for that, like for frying like onions and garlic as, as you know, the precursor to a savory thing, you might want to put a very small piece of the ingredient in. To sort of, and if it sizzles, that sort of often means that it's that it's ready. I find with pancakes that you might want to overcook the bottom first. That's a bit controversial. But actually, if the base is firmer, then it will flip easier. And so you might want to yeah. like overcook the base and then cook cook it more on the first side than on the second, because obviously the second side will already be cooked. And that's possibly a fix for um, avoiding them breaking up. Because my main problem 
is them breaking up. But that's about putting the right amount of mixed ingredients in yeah, for the size of the pan. And it's about making sure that they're properly cooked and underneath. All right. Well, anything else that uh, you'd like to cover there, Carl? I don't really know. I think I'm open to any questions. If anyone's got any questions, then I'm happy for them to come back via sort of Tori and Herbie. I'll be able to answer them by the email. I guess they can report back or else, you know, I'm happy to come back again if, if, you, if you want me. I'm happy to come back and talk about sort of particular recipes. Obviously, I've mentioned a few different things that I cook if anyone wants to talk more about specific Oh, and I guess I you guys cover should, all of that. I think we yeah. should definitely arrange a call of some of your favorite recipes. I definitely think that would yeah. be a fun call. So. Yeah. Yeah, and we can talk about them. But yeah, for now, just thanks for having me back. It's it's really good to be able to share this because, I mean, as I said last time, I discovered on a forum where people were asking for advice about this, a gaming, a, a computer game forum. And actually, it struck me because I take this for granted, like how new cooking is to a lot of people. And I think to be able to share that is really, really important to take the mystery and the fear out of it so i want i want to keep people keep doing this for people all right that's why we do the cooking call yep and tori did you have any last things that we should ask carl well why ask him on the thing where she didn't by the way so it's all good when we can actually talk to him live as uh, that pretty much wrapped up the interview anyway as um, technically we've got 15 minutes left, I'd booked the call, though, for two hours. So uh, moderators and streamers, if you are able to stay longer, that'd be great. If not, then you're within your rights not to, since it is listed as an hour and a half. So I... Um... Herbie, this is Andrew. Can I um, pipe in for a Excuse minute? Excuse me, in, in Clubhouse? Oh, hold on, hold on, guys. On. All right. Um, and Danette, unfortunately, did not get a chance to tell you not to bring people on stage just yet, but, uh, okay. so if you can, but we will get to you, Andrew, when we open, do open up for questions as you are kind of, uh, I guess, first step. So, um, hang tight just for a second there. So, um, Carl, first of all, let's make sure that, are you, uh, with us? I am indeed. Hello, Herbie. Hello, everybody. Can you hear me? Yes, yes we, we can. can. Hooray. Hello. Hi. All right, so, uh, Tori, did you have anything, or should we jump right into questions? I don't have anything at the moment. I don't have anything, so shall we jump into questions? We shall jump into questions. All right, Andrew, you may go first, and then we'll go to Zoom. I apologize for uh, being out of order. It's okay. Um, I don't have a question so much as I have a couple things that I just want to say that I do particularly. Um, when I'm doing vegetables, for instance, um, for a stir fry or something like that, I use separate bowls for each of the vegetables and I use the bowls then to transfer those vegetables to my cooking surface. That's one. Um, also when I'm doing eggs, I, I always crack my egg into a small bowl and then I use that to transfer it into the fry pan. So I don't get eggshell hopefully and stuff like that in with the, uh, egg. Um, the other thing, um, when I'm using, like I use a, a good butcher knife and I recommend them, if nothing else, that's one really good tool to have a good butcher knife. That's, uh, thick, thickish, strong, has a good blade. And when I'm chopping, uh, something like a celery, uh, stock, what I do is, um, uh, with my uh, knuckles, um, I kind of put my fingertips down on the celery and then I press my knuckles forward against the blade. And that way I keep my fingers out of the way of the, the chopping action. And then you just move your fingers backwards and chop along. 
The other thing, when I'm chopping onions, um, I'll uh, almost I'll rest the blade um, kind of like to the tip, and I'll put my hand on the tip of the blade, and I will pivot um, as I'm chopping, and that hand holds the blade down, and then you just um, rescrape the um, vegetable into a pile again, and then you do you repeat the action. So you're holding down the tip of the blade, and you're just kind of seesawing around. Um, and your fingers are out of the way totally. Anyway, those are some tips that I do all the time when I'm cooking. I just thought I'd throw that out there for people. Thank, Thank you, you, Andrew. Those are great tips. Yeah, if I can kind of come in, this is um, uh, yep. Carl here again. I, I just wanted to sort of, yeah, I want to agree with that sort of thank you, because I think this is really important that obviously everyone has, like there's a few things I recognise there, like certainly sort of with, with that thing with an onion where you sort of go around, yeah, it almost use the point of the tip of the blade as a sort of a, pivot really and go around in a circle to to get sort of smaller small pieces I think that's something I can definitely identify with um and I think it's really important for obviously everyone to be able to share their different tips and techniques and stuff like that because obviously everyone has their own way and every you know and it's really important to sort of try the different things and what works for you preparing stuff in advance I think earlier in the interview uh, I talked about that kind of about kind of preparation being your friend and certainly I agree with that putting a pre-chopping things putting them in their own small bowls so that you know what is what you know where everything is it's ready to go when it's time to cook and yeah and using measuring something or cracking eggs into a bowl like a head before you add it to your main mixture cakes is another example a lot of people like a lot of weighing scales allow you to like zero the scale so you can just add new things but obviously, if you over, uh, if you know, if you tip too much of something in, then you can't take it back again, kind of without mixing it with other stuff. So, um, so absolutely, those kind of preparation things I can really identify with, and are definitely something that, that I do, and they're really sort of important and sort of, um, they're really kind of good things, and, and it's just really good to have other people's perspectives. You know, one thing I will say is, uh, you know, I realize that uh, America gets uh, grief for using a totally different measuring system, but. I, I also got to say that uh, if our measuring system means we get to use measuring cups and measuring spoons rather than scales, I'm a lot more in favor of it than, you know, than I thought I was before. I, I don't know. I'd have to get used to this idea of weighing things on the scales if I went to like the UK or whatever. I um, actually use the systems interchangeably and it's all your fault, Hobie. Ah, it depends on the recipe and I just do what the recipe says. I brought measuring cups especially so I could follow your recipes. You're welcome. Uh, thank you. Well, you know, gotta gotta spread the, spread the influence somehow, you know, I guess. Alright, do we have any questions over on Zoom? We have two hands. We have Heidi followed by Roberta. Alright, hey, Heidi. Heidi. Hello. Yes, I'm one of the frequent offenders. Um, and I have, um, the slack chop that you were talking about, um, that has the blades that come down. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have a cutting glove that you can actually wear while, um, cutting your food and it, it's, you know, washing machine safe and stuff. Um, the high mark you were talking about over here, I believe that is puff paint. Um, Puff paint is something different, but it serves a similar purpose. I was going to say, okay. Um, yeah, so um, some of the 
specialty stuff I use. Some of it I don't. I actually have a, it's a rubber um, thing where you put your pointer finger and your thumb in it and you hold like a potato or a carrot. That to me, I don't like because it's plastic and you really can't tell where one thing ends and the other begins. But it does help that you can just rest the knife against it and then you can just cut down. So if you're cutting something like um, for the first time, like a potato and you want to hold it that way and get it to a more manageable size and then, you know, kind of switch around and that's good. Um, so it, it it's kind of all over the place. I, I kind of use pretty much a little bit of everything. And I actually had sight, I had 2020 um, up until the age of about 14. And then um, my vision from there pretty much went to uh, totally blind. So, you know, I, I, it was slow for my, my vision loss. So I was able to adapt a little easier, but yeah, I mean, you can use all kinds of different things. It's whatever works for you. I found that those of us who came to complete sight loss later tend to be more likely to go for those aids because it helps us with the adjustment process. Because I use, I don't use very many um, to, uh, tools uh, that help aid-wise, but I do use more of them than, say, Carl does. Right. And, and I'm, yeah, and I'm seeing a sense. bit of a theme with that, that, you know, because when I was first learning to do stuff with no sight, I kind of needed those tools to help with that learning process, or at least felt I did. Um, yeah. So. No, and I some of it I use more than others, so. And what were you going to say, Carl? No, sorry for interrupting. Um, uh, no, I, th I think that's a really, those, those are some really important points. Like, I have a theory that when you're, when you're a child, no one has told you what you can't do. I know that sounds strange, but you haven't had that sort of life experience where you've learned used to doing something in one way. So if you want to do something, you'll find a way around it. But then when you're getting used to something in a totally different way, I think you cannot underestimate the impact that losing sight, losing like a major sort of sense or ability has on your day-to-day -day life. So absolutely, I think that it's really important to sort of think about those things because, um, you know, and, and, it, and if those sort of uh, like pieces of equipment sort of help with transition and then kind of carry on being useful, kind of, I think that's really important. I think it's kind of great that they're out there. And I think that's, yeah, that's something that's that's really important. Like when people sort of, talk about kind of the coordination that perhaps that, that you ha that may be a lot like perhaps a lot of people who are blind from a young age is, is a bit of a generalization but the coordination that they have compared to those that lose their sight later it, it it's mostly because of experience as much as anything or because they've not had to readjust and that readjustment is a massive step that should oh, yeah. never be sort of judged or underestimated exactly oh yeah 
Yeah. And we could have a very interesting philosophical discussion on being told what you can't do as an adult, too, but that's a whole other thing altogether. That's a different kind of call. That, that being yes. said, people have told me I can't drive, and so far I've believed them, so... That's um, probably don't. for the best. Yeah, it probably. Don't. Why, because it's me driving or the blindness? Words. Now, there's two different avenues. Anyway. So, our... didn't... thank you, Heidi. Yes, Roberta. Um, the other thing is, I do have a pen friend, and there is actually, and this is kind of non-cooking related but you can actually get labels that are fabric labels and they can actually go through the laundry oh, oh well I, i've heard of fabric softener going through the laundry but i didn't know fabric <laughs> labels fit. all right there you well, go now you do thanks um, heidi so i guess you can put the soften with the label and so anyway all right very good heidi and at some point i let's save this for the chicken fingers so um i'm curious about i've heard of these cutting gloves so yeah um, we can talk be, about that on the chicken fingers call yeah so yep. anyway that, that that sounds wrong chicken fingers and cutting gloves okay let's go to roberta <laughs> some, yeah, something more accessible now um, I, I just want to uh, throw out a suggestion or a comment regarding the pen friend. Um, the, the peel and stick stickers are um, intended to be reused over and over and over. And so what I have done, rather than sticking them on containers like canned goods or freezer packages or whatever, I, I take, um, I go to my recycle bin, I find containers that are plastic, like cottage cheese or yogurt container. I cut those into medallion size um, shapes. It doesn't, the shape is pretty irrelevant, but big enough to put a sticker on and to punch a hole. And then I put the sticker on that medallion, and then I use a rubber band to attach it to the object. And that way, when I'm done with it, I just throw it back into my jar that holds my pen friend and my rubber bands and my, my labels and, you know, my supplies and I can reuse them over and over and over rather than throwing them away. That's a great so, idea. Yeah. Also, that is a good idea. Actually. I keep, I've been meaning to do that with mine. I do that with magnets though. I, I, um, I have like some small, you can get sort of small round or square magnets. So I use those to stick on canned goods. Obviously Excellent. they're only good for cans. Um, but yeah, rubber rubber bands is a, is a is a great one because it is absolutely reusable. And you do get a lot of those labels, and they are quite cheap. But on the other hand, they're not free, and you don't want to you don't necessarily want to waste them. When it right. when it comes to sort of labeling stuff as well, I often try and ask people to put the dates on as well. The great thing about them is because you can just say what absolutely what you want. If you want someone to read out the cooking suggestions or cooking instructions, if you want someone to read out the um, I mean, I guess not too long, I suppose, but for all, you know, you can get sort of basic cooking times. You can, you know, if you want the calories, if you, if you, if you, if you have to control your, 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 your weight or your diet, if you want, yeah, the, 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 the use by date so that you can, can organize your food independently. Like, I think I, that's why I think I'm such a, an advocate of the, of the pen friend, but anything that we can sort of reuse and actually recycling the plastic is great. Don't go out and buy a new car, just recycle, like you use plastic to save landfill. That's, that's, that's a particularly definitely. nice touch. And while you definitely can use the iPhone as a scanner, it, you know, it works and it doesn't work. I have, 
issues with it, 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 I I will use it. I did I do prefer my barcode scanner honestly a lot more. I will the say the various but, uh, recognition apps are usable but aren't always reliable. Plus, no. you also have the complication of what if your internet's down because that does happen. That well, that is a problem um, because that would uh, be a problem for my alternative solution. Sometimes, like with seeing AI, I can get the short text to work better than the barcode. I agree but- there. And so yeah. what I will do, though, is I will just get the short text, because sometimes I just need to know what the box is, not necessarily the instructions, but if I then if I do need instructions, uh, the nice thing about frozen foods is you can usually Google them and get the instructions that way. Um, and that really you helps, especially actually, if you're good with navigating the web on your phone as well. So You can actually now it, even now Google it, how to look up, you know, how, cooking instructions for pretty much anything these days. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, because so much of things are on the websites, actually, you can check the supermarket websites when you order something. Yep. If you order your groceries online, it's certainly in the UK. The supermarket websites often have the instructions, yep, package instructions on the product defini- page. Yep, definitely that case over here too, especially with the grocery delivery apps like the Instacart and the Walmart and app, Walmart which is stuff, the, yeah. your equivalent to the Walmart app as ASDA, we've determined. So... Uh, there you go, definitely. All right. Um, do we have any other hands? Not in Zoom. Anybody over in Clubhouse, Danette? Not in Clubhouse, no. So, very good. Real quick question I thought of for you, Carl, is do you have any tips for how to successfully clean your oven? Uh, clean your oven. Okay, so... um. There are several, I guess, steps to cleaning your oven. One is keeping it clean, like one is avoiding messes, I guess, in the first place. Tips for that are not overfilling casseroles or baking trays, using slightly deeper trays than you might otherwise, putting an empty baking tray or something on the shelf below sort of to catch any drips or messes. Um, uh, Those are sort of quite common. Um, when it comes to cleaning the oven, um, the main thing is to obviously you 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 make sure it's uh, um, off, you know, uh, and um, it is unlikely to that you're going to knock it sort of to turn it back on again. Um, so I often turn mine off at, at the wall, um, but, you know, to make sure that they to avoid accidents. Take the shelves and things out, take the trays out, understand what what does and doesn't come out of the oven. Um, because mostly stuff is stuff comes out in, in order to be able to get to different bits of it to clean them. Um, so yeah, sort of work out what you know uh, what comes out. Um, yeah, don't try to remove the elements at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then don't try. Yeah, and you know, and take stuff out to clean it as well because that can be easier and it'll give you more space inside the oven or sort of you know or in different inside you know part of the burners on the uh, gas hob or that sort of thing. When you're cleaning the oven, um, don't like I, I I would sort of use like a sort of um, you know those there's those sort of sponges that have got like a kind of a rough scouring side and then like yes. a sort of a sponge side. I don't know what the word for those would be in in the in the US. Uh, I call them the same thing. They, they, I yeah. think there's a scrubber basically. Yeah, maybe. sort of a scrub. Yeah. So when you the one thing I would say is don't use like proper sort of wire wool or like a proper sort of scouring. Um, like wire wool kind of a pot scrubber because you don't want to damage, um, you, you know, the, anything, the elements. So 
if if you're gonna you know if you need to kind of give it kind of a good scrub sort of use a sort of a slightly sort of softer product uh, if you can work up i guess is what i'm sort of saying to to avoid kind of damaging everything that's why you with... suggest the sponges rather than the actual scouring pads because they're that bit soft yep yeah and exactly. another term for the scouring pads over here you may have also that can be labeled as sos pads as well so okay thank you um use um if you're using a cleaning product um uh, like kind of like a proper sort of uh, oven cleaner think about sort of like looking after yourself you may want to wear rubber gloves that will keep you cleaner anyway but if you've got your hands kind of in the in the cleaning products depending on kind of your skin like it's not great i guess to have long-term contact they're not like like that used to be super dangerous but it's always good and obviously make sure you thoroughly kind of wash your hands afterwards if you're worried about your eyes you may want to wear sort of you know sort of uh, protective goggles if or glasses if you're concerned i guess that shouldn't be a problem unless you're too, too enthusiastic but again these are things that you might want to think about if this is something if you're likely to sort of lean close to have a look you might you know with with low vision you might want to think about some of those things just being careful with cleaning products if you've got water, like if you're using kind of hot soapy water or, you know, whatever your product, you don't necessarily need to go sort of too much because the main thing is obviously you don't want sort of like water running around, running into everything. Like it shouldn't run into the sort of the electrics too much or anything like that. But so you might want to, um, uh, you know, sort of really kind of wring out a cloth or a, or a, or a, or a sponge or something before sort of, put, you know, using it sort of so that it's still damp still got your cleaning solutions on it but you're not going to be sort of dripping water everywhere because as, as well as like in that uh, uh, collecting in the oven you don't want it sort of splashing out over the floor for you to sort of slip on make sure that you um dry uh the the oven sort of before you the, they've cleaned off kind of you know the, the, the your sort of cleaning products so some people leave the oven door sort of slightly open or at least don't sort of click it sort of shut so that it kind of fastens properly if you do leave it slightly open bear that in mind when you're moving around the kitchen so that you don't sort of so it doesn't sort of fall open and sort of you know or um sort of swing open depending on which way it's orientated so that you don't sort of walk into it damage it or, or yourself but i guess it's and mostly when it comes to the door if your door is the kind that comes that drops down and it doesn't stay in the position very well then it might be better to leave it completely down so that you know it's completely down um yeah. rather than have it fall down and you don't realize and then you hurt yourself on it yeah so so mainly i guess it's about it's it it's it's for me it's about making sure that kind of things are sort of thoroughly kind of cleaned and dried afterwards because the main the my main thing really with kind of cleaning cleaning ovens is is mostly about when you sort of turn it back turn it back on again afterwards when you're sort of like cooking and you've kind of left cleaning stuff on the element that's kind of heating and evaporating um that can sort of smell a bit odd sometimes um um, in terms of sort of cleaning, I, I, I do think that the best thing is sort of to, uh, well, do it quite quickly as well. If you have a particularly bad spill, you know, once you finish cooking, um, you know, then let it cool down thoroughly and clean it then. Don't sort of use it again afterwards, if, if you know, if you can, because obviously you'll just sort of bake things on. The more you heat it and cool it and the more you sort of you know, it'll make messes worse and harder to, to remove. So that's one of the main things. Check it perhaps more regularly if, you know, or, or, or you know, if you've had a particularly sort of bad sort of spill or a, a shaky incident, then, yeah, then then sort of, you know, do it straight away. Don't don't let it sort of 
settle in. Um, I think those are my main things. Just yeah, just just make sure it's cool and try not to splash too much water around. And there also, you if you have a guide dog or pet, you might want to not have them in the room when you're doing the oven. A very good point. Yes. All right, well, um, last check for questions. Don't want to keep everybody waiting, but uh, we will Diane, do a last check. Hands? We have Dexter. Dexter, my friend, welcome. Hey, Dexter. Hello. Uh, with regard to minimizing the cleaning and that, they do make oil trays that you can put down on the bottom of, of uh, standard ovens. Yes that help catch the stuff and you know if you have something that does happen you know about 90 percent of the time it'll end up in that tray and that really helps in minimizing the cleaning that you have to do that is a very good point yes go ahead sorry with regard to the uh, oven shelves and that the the standard oven shelves are made so that you know there's a catch and you can't you know take them out any further and you know they won't you know tip over that uh but what what i have for being able to pull them out and push them in is i have a stick that's about uh 14 16 inches long two inches wide one end is kind of shaped you know for hanging on to then the other end has a V in it that can be used for pushing the the hot oven shelf back in. And then about four inches from the end, there is a notch that uh, is large enough for that um, the rail, you know, the front rail of that oven shelf. You catch that in there and and just simply pull, and it'll pull it out, and so it's all done, you know, without your hand ever being near it. That's a really neat tool. Yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. As as regards the shelves being done so that you can't pull them out, in some cases it seems that way. But if you <clears throat> needed to pull them out, like to clean when they're cold, obviously. If you were to slightly raise the front so it comes out at a slight angle, some of them will then yeah, you, come you out have regardless. to specifically lift them up. Yep, yes. mine are like that, for where, instance, definitely. Or if you, you know, are just using that, you know, that catch uh, to, you know, just slide them out and that you'll, you aren't lifting it up and so it won't come out on you. Absolutely. P- pulling, uh, pulling the oven shells out is a is a really interesting um debate as well i mean i think i think we might have touched on it earlier in the interview i'm not sure we but, did yes um but like yeah because 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 although like i'm i'm not a a fan because of having kind of not having shelf stuck out and i'm sort of concerned about them sort of being put coming out too far and sort of pivoting down a little bit and spilling your food onto the floor or anything like that like that's a bit of a a particular yeah, the way um, they're made in the u.s they don't tip down well, that's good. To spill stuff. Well, that's good. Yeah, some of them so, do here. Because, <laughs> because that I mean, because, because ultimately that can be a really great way of getting stuff out of the oven. Because obviously, if you're trying to sort of reach between two shelves, you right. know, then then um, totally, if you if you can, and if they do come out safely, experiment perhaps with the, with your with with your oven just to make sure. 
um, um, people, but that actually that is a good way of being able to sort of then lift um, food out of the oven, kind of, you know, as yeah. And then if, if, as long as you can kind of get the hot tray back in safely, because that, that sounds like a really, a really good tool to have actually. Um, it actually, well, I would set a summer orientation program for the blind and, and as part of the woodworking class, we actually made them. And so it's basically just, you know, a standard piece of wood about a half inch thick and two inches wide. And, you know, you put the, the notch in that, um, you know, basically kind of a, well, uh, a hole that, you know, kind of runs, you know, from the edge down in and, and back towards the end. And that, uh, and it's something that, you know, if a person has a sighted friend that does any woodwork or that, you know, they could do pretty easy for them. And Very I can, good. Very good. I'm not in the U.S. right now, but, uh, you know, I could basically draw it up if someone, you know, wanted, uh, you know, the basic design or when I, I'm hoping to be back in the U.S. back in, well, probably June, August time frame, hopefully. And at that point in time, I could even trace the outside of it. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, maybe Thanks, that Dexter. might be good to collaborate with the crafty people or uh, Merle, who does woodworking. All right. I see that we do have another hand over on the Zoom side. Yep, Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Hello. Um, the one thing I want to uh, have people be aware of is make sure that you have a well-ventilated area. So open your windows before you... Uh, especially use oven cleaner. Um, yes. It's yes. really important. And also, too, is I know here in the United States, a lot of our ovens have self-cleaning uh, settings. Um, be aware that once you push that button, your oven locks. So you must make sure that everything is out of your oven. Yes. And um, also, and also, open your windows because there is a high possibility of smoke, and it will set off your fire alarms. Um, Very good points. Uh, my so, oven does not have one of those self-cleaning thingies, but no, I have heard so, of them. We can get self um, with mm -hmm. self-cleaning over here. Some of the newer ones, but um, they tend to be newer, more expensive ovens. So. Yeah. yeah, but I know some of them. Uh, some of the ones that are gas um and also electric actually um that they do and unfortunately yes, do i've well. had yes. i've had individuals accidentally uh push that button and luckily there was only cast uh cast iron pans in their oven but um yeah yeah, yeah. that was lucky <laughs> yeah. thanks All for right. those tips uh-huh anybody in clubhouse no, nobody's in nobody has their hand raised. All right, okay, very good. Tonight. Well, we want to thank Carl for coming with, to uh, talk with us today, and uh, maybe we'll have him back for a third interview. You never know. Yeah, thanks for, for that me. recipe call. Yeah, the recipe yeah. call. That's that, that's the one we'll definitely do next is the recipe call. So um, get those recipes ready, and then uh, we will talk. So, oh, I'll I know your, your, your younger sister, who's 13 months, 12 um hours and eight minutes younger than you will uh did i get that right 
No. <laughs> it's, one, it's one year, four weeks, and eight minutes. Okay, there you go. One year, four weeks, and eight minutes younger than you will make sure that uh, you toe the line. I, I know how it goes. I have a younger Absolutely. sister. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Thank you to everybody who stuck around today. We hope uh, that you enjoyed this. This will be uploaded to uh, YouTube fairly quickly because I don't really have much editing to do on the, this one because uh, that was already done. And um, my thanks to Tyanne for hosting in Zoom. This is her first time hosting this call. Thanks to Danette over in Clubhouse. Thanks to Brad for streaming. And be sure to check us out. We've got tons of other great calls for those of you uh, on ACB Media and in Clubhouse. Make sure you do subscribe to community at acb.org where you get a complete listing of all the calls that we have because not all of them are made available on Clubhouse and on ACB Media, and so there is a lot more for you to explore. Including so. the return of, of uh, In the Kitchen with Courtney starting tomorrow. Yes, indeed. So that's super exciting. All right. Um, let's see. What are we making next week? Uh, green bean casserole. Oh, okay, good. Um, so that'll be fairly easy. That'll be probably prove to be a quicker call as uh, last time I actually did do it in under an hour, but, uh, you know, I'm a lot older. Yeah, I have a recipe, but I need your one. All right, I will give you mine after the show. So on that note then, um, Tori, any final thoughts? No, just thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you, Carl, for agreeing to come back and be interviewed again. Yep. It was was a pleasure. Um, So thanks for inviting me and... uh... Yeah, we'll hope you come, come to more of these cooking else. calls. You know, it's just they, they start an hour earlier than what your time is right now. So uh, 